0: They boast about what they are able to do. They boast about their accomplishments, and and Paul is boasting like them in order to kind of make fun at them, parody them, show how foolish it is to boast. He's gonna he's gonna kind of play this part of boasting like a fool for a little while, and so he says, "Hey, they boast in their accomplishments. I'm gonna boast. I'm gonna boast like they do. Whatever they boast of, I'm gonna boast the same way." So we see they probably boasted in their accomplishments. Well, he starts off with, with their heritage. He says, are they Hebrews? That probably has the idea of, did they grow up in a Hebrew-speaking or Aramaic-speaking household? So am I. Are they Israelites? Are, are they just part of the, the nation of Israel? So am I. Uh, are they uh, offspring of Abraham? Are they descendants biologically, genealogically from Abraham? So am I. You know, they can't, they can't claim anything as, when it comes to, to Jewishness that Paul doesn't have. But we know from Philippians 3 what Paul thought of his heritage. He, he said the same thing there about, hey, I, I'm, I'm an Israelite, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm from the seed of Abraham, I'm, I, I am all these things. And yet he said, I count all these things as loss. I count all these things as rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. He did not trust in his heritage. He did not trust in being Jewish. He did not trust in being from a certain genealogical line. He trusted in Jesus Christ to make him righteous before God. He did not boast in himself, not in his past, not in his upbringing, in nothing that was in him. Instead, he boasted in Jesus Christ. He goes on from there, though, are they servants of Christ? And he says, this is, this is, he says, I'm a better one, and only, this is, this is worse than a fool. This is a madman. This is how bad men talk. It says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments and countless beatings and often near death. He's just, this is kind of, kind of the overview of what he's going to talk about, so all these labors, he, he worked night and day, he worked all the time, uh, he he was uh, imprisoned a lot, he was beaten a lot, he was, he's often near death, and so he starts to fill out all these ways that he was close to death so many times, as, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, these, these false teachers, they boasted of their power, uh, and they boasted of their accomplishments, and they were lifted up, you got to think that their accomplishments were not like the accomplishments that both, that Paul was talking about here, They might have talked about the things they had overcome, but they didn't have anything like these kinds of things that that Paul was, was quote-unquote, boasting about. Who boasts in their incarcerations, in their indictments? That's what he's boasting of. He goes on from there, the times that he was beaten, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. That is, you know, uh, this was the discipline of the synagogue. And they, they would take a leather strap, and the, the president or the leader of the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue, would stand up, uh, usually on a little bit of an elevated uh, bench. And it would be 26 uh, stripes with a leather strap on the back and 13 on the front. Uh, and it was not uncommon for people to, to die from that. When he goes on from there, he talks about three times, I was, uh, I was beaten with rods. That was not the Jews. That was the Gentiles. Uh, that was the, the, Roman, the Roman government. Uh, taking him into imprisoning him and, and beating, beating him. Uh, when I was growing up, there was a the big story in uh, Singapore about the, 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 the teenager who was, who was caned. Well, that was the kind of thing that he was talking about, beaten with rods. It was a, a corporal uh, punishment. He says uh, three times, uh, what he says, once I was stoned. Uh, he's talking about they picked up huge stones and intended to kill him. Uh, by throwing stones at him. They dragged him outside the city and left him for dead. Miraculously, he survived. Uh, three times he says he was shipwrecked, and at least on one of those occasions, he was, uh, he was a night and the day at sea, you know, holding on to a piece of driftwood, hoping somebody would come and get him, and, and God, God delivered him. You think back to 2 Corinthians 1, where he talks about uh, God delivered us, and he delivered us again, and, and still more. He will deliver us, like the expectation that, that over and over again in Paul's life, God had delivered him. Didn't deliver him from the lashings or from the beatings or from the shipwrecks, but delivered him through them. God was taking care of him. God was bringing him. And those are just the highlights. He goes on to catalog all the ways that he was in danger, but on his journeys. I mean, it, every day he was in danger on these journeys. You know, people, uh, most people in, in the ancient world, uh, you know, they might never go more than 20 miles away from, from their hometown. Here is Paul traveling by ocean over land. He says he is um, in danger from rivers. You know, there are these river crossings might get swept away. Danger from robbers. He's on abandoned roads. These are where these, these robbers, people who were, seek to mug him and take him, they, they are sitting there waiting for him. Danger from my own people, that is from the Jews. They wanted to see him uh, killed. Danger from Gentiles. They, were, they got upset. We see places where they rioted because uh, they saw that he was challenging their economic, uh, their economic lives because people were giving up their idolatry and nobody was buying little idols anymore. There's danger, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. So every place that you could be, you, there's no place, there was no place for Paul to run to. There was no retreat cabin in the woods where Paul went and he you know, had a break. There was, there was the constant labor of every place he went, in the city, in the wilderness, on the sea, every place he was at. He was in danger, and finally he says, uh, in danger from false brothers. These are the men who would disguise themselves as apostles, disguise themselves as prophets, disguise themselves as as ministers of righteousness, and yet they were really out to betray Paul and to hurt Paul and to undermine Paul. It goes on from there. It's not just the people who are out to get him or the people who are hurting him. There's also his own work. He says, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night. The reality was is that Paul would work during the day and teach at night or vice versa, He's working day and night to both provide for himself and to teach the word of God. Through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst, often without food. In cold and exposure. So even going without the basic necessities of life. Like, like he's not, when he's talking about going without food, he's not talking about a voluntary fast. He's talking about an involuntary fast. He's talking about, the, he, he was not being provided the necessities of life on occasion. He was not even able to cover up himself. Here is what he was going through. This is something that he was voluntarily giving up, the same way, the same way that, that Jesus Christ uh, became poor so that we might become rich, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 9. So, so Paul says, hey, I, I was voluntarily impoverished in order to get the gospel to people. I was suffering in my body to get the gospel to people. And he says, finally, apart from all the other things, so it's not just physical, it's also emotional, it's mental. On top of everything, there's the daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches. He is, he is bonded to these churches, like a father to children. The same way a father would be concerned about his own children, the way, the way a husband would be concerned about his, his wife, the way, that, the way that we care about those we love, he cared about the church. He cared about the church in Corinth. And he says there, finally, who is weak and I'm not weak? That is, any of you, any of you who feels hurt, any of you who is experiencing weakness, I am feeling, feeling it with you. And then he says, who, who is made to fall? That is, who is made to fall into temptation? Who is made to, to fall into sin by false teachers or those who are coming in and troubling you? Uh, I am indignant the same way that Jesus Christ was going into, going into the, uh, the, the temple and seeing the money changers there. And driving them out. He, he was zealous for the house of God the same way Paul was zealous for the church. He was zealous to see the church pure. Look at all the ways that, that Paul is imitating and following the example of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ suffered in a unique way. He suffered as an atonement for our sins. No one else suffers that way. And yet we are called to take up our crosses and to follow Jesus Christ. And Paul imitates him. Paul follows his example, and he does whatever it takes to get the gospel. Jesus Christ got, suffered as the gospel, the gospel of the good news that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, faith in his sacrifice, that his sacrifice takes away our sin. But Paul suffered to get the gospel to the churches, to get the gospel to those who had not heard. He suffered uh, the, the imprisonments and the beatings and the, and the, the failings. He suffered, the, he suffered the, the hard work, the toil, the sleepless nights, the hunger, the exhaustion. You, you think about how Jesus said, the, the son of man has no place to lay his head. That's, that's how Paul was. He was out there. He was, he was one who was, who was embodying the sufferings of Jesus Christ for the church. The same way that Jesus said, he looked out on the people he had compassion on them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. He pronounced woes on the false teachers. Because they were troubling the people. So Paul says. Paul says in verse 30, He says if I must boast. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. False teachers. They boast in their accomplishments. They boast in, they boast in what, they had, what they had done. Paul, Paul makes much of the things that, that humiliate him. I got beaten. I got imprisoned. They punt like like these lashings, these beatings, these are not, not typically private. These are carried out in front of other people, like openly humiliated, shipwrecked. I mean, he's not just driving around in a, in, a, in a lackluster car. I mean, he's being shipwrecked and out on the sea night and day. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. We, we know that, that Paul is an extreme example as an apostle, And yet these are the kinds of things that we can expect if we're going to follow Jesus Christ. We may not suffer to the extremity that Paul does, and yet we must all be ready to suffer for Jesus Christ. We must be ready to suffer imprisonments. We have to be ready to work hard night and day. We have to be ready to to give up things for people. We must be ready to to be in danger from our own people. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace but a sword, to, to cut households in two, to pit uh, fathers and mothers, uh, fathers and, and sons, against one another, and, and well, mothers and daughters against one another, because devotion to Jesus Christ requires it. He says, even that. One more example. He, he he calls God as his witness. He says, God knows that that I, there I was in Damascus, and they were seeking my life. They were seeking to imprison me, and and I had to be uh, lowered down in a basket. One one commentator, you know speculate a little bit, but but with some some backing that he he might have been being lowered in a fish basket. Normally hauls fish. You know, so he's not he's not a soldier. He's not a a warrior who goes and takes uh, walls, physical walls, instead he's the one who gets lowered in, in stinky baskets from walls to escape. I mean he's he's not boasting in anything that makes him look great. None of the things that Paul does makes him look great. All makes him look like a fool. All makes him look like a madman. All makes him look look crazy. But he is committed to Jesus Christ. He is devoted to him. Now we do see that that you know this should not develop in us a you know suffering is not is not exactly glorified in this way. It's not as if we should develop a martyr complex or as if we should start seeking out suffering. You can see that when he had an opportunity to escape, to escape arrest and to escape a beating and escape imprisonment, he did. But the reality is, is that for all of us who are going to follow Jesus Christ. So this is the lesson for the Corinthians. We all, if we are going to follow a crucified Savior, we take up crosses. And we expect suffering. We expect to work hard. We expect to have emotional turmoil. We expect those things because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ died for our sins. He said to his disciples, take I am going to Jerusalem, and I will be handed over to to the Roman government, to the Gentiles. And I will be crucified the same way that Paul was handed over to the Gentiles, to be beaten. But here is Jesus being handed over to the Gentiles to die a a, a death that only, only the Romans did, to crucify Jesus Christ. And he was crucified for our sins. But Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's the lesson. It's different, it's different words here. It's, it's weakness. God intends to use our weakness. He intends for us to, to, to boast in our weaknesses. We can put up with insult. We can put up with, with injury. We can put up with, with these difficulties because Jesus Christ is our Savior. There's no place that we can go that Jesus Christ has not already been. Jesus Christ has been through suffering. He has been through death. He has conquered death. He has risen from the dead. And now, the very place that he is now, we are going. We are going into the presence of God. And so, if he blazed the trail for us, we have every reason to follow his example, to imitate him with confidence that this is the right way. Lots of times when we see suffering, we think this is the wrong way. When we we feel weakness, we think this is the wrong way. Weakness is not the wrong way. Weakness is the way of the Christian life. So we see what it looks like to speak of accomplishments. Next, we see him speaking of visions and revelations. Pick up in chapter 12. Read verses 1 through 10. He says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And you see there in verse 1, he has to go on boasting. Remember, he's boasting about everything that these false apostles, everything they boast about, in a, in a, in a, in a parroting kind of way, in a, in a jesting kind of way. But there's, there's no really, no, this is not giggles here. This is, this is serious to undermine their, their authority. What is, what is it that false apostles and false prophets say? They say, God told me. They boast in their revelations. They boast in their visions. What, what false prophet, what false apostle, what false teacher doesn't have a, a revelation or a vision from the Lord? Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boast of revelations and visions. And, you know, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with revelations and visions themselves. We, Paul is a true apostle, and he received visions and revelations of the Lord on multiple occasions. There's no problem with God speaking to apostles and prophets. We know that God spoke to Abraham on multiple different occasions. He told him to leave uh, the land that he was from and go to the promised land. We know that he told him to look up at the stars, that God would make his offspring uh, like, the, like the stars of the heaven. We know that he told him to become circumc- to circumcise himself and his whole household. We know that God revealed himself to him uh, when he was about to kill his own son. There's no problem with a prophet like Abraham, who's identified as a prophet in, in Genesis 18. There's no problem with him receiving a revelation of the Lord. There's no problem with Moses seeing uh, seeing uh, God uh, speaking to him, having a revelation from God at the burning bush or or on top of Mount Sinai. There's nothing wrong with with uh, Elijah or or. Uh, or Samuel receiving a revelation from the Lord that they were to go and anoint kings or to pronounce judgment on kings. There was nothing wrong with Isaiah or Jeremiah to talk about judgment uh, in exile or about the things that were to come. There's nothing wrong with God speaking to an apostle like Peter and revealing to him that the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. There's nothing wrong with God speaking to a to an apostle like Paul and saying to Paul that, that to reveal to him a a vision that led him to the region of Macedonia. There's nothing wrong with the visions being given to the Apostle John uh, about what was going to happen up until the time of the end. Those are all things that God gave to prophets and apostles. And we can see that false teachers are constantly trying to ape them. They are trying to disguise themselves and, and make themselves out to be false apostles. But God does not speak to us immediately, directly the way that he did to the apostles and prophets. He speaks to us through the apostles and prophets in the scriptures. I know that sometimes that makes some of you uncomfortable because I say that very definitively. Here's why. No one has ever been led astray by the scriptures. People have often been led astray by the still, small voice. In fact, from the very beginning, it was not the word of God that was leading people astray. It was the, the other words from Satan that were leading people astray. It was, there was a word that was given to Adam that he was supposed to communicate to his wife. And she listened to the snake rather than to the word. I don't apologize. I don't apologize for constantly how much, it, however much it may go against the, the mainstream of popular Christianity at the time. I want to apologize for pointing people to the Scriptures and not to the still small voice because the Scriptures have never led anyone astray. The Scriptures are sufficient to make us wise unto salvation. The Scriptures are sufficient to teach us to be obedient and pleasing to the Lord in every way. So we expect that through apostles and prophets we will receive revelation from God through them, not as they did. And of course, that... That is going to save us from a lot of heartache and a lot of deception from false teachers. Because nobody can come and say, God told me, unless they heard it from the Scriptures. What he says there, he says, he he actually goes on, he talks about his revelation. I know a man in Christ. It's probably him, 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 later on we'll see that it's him talking about himself. But you see how Paul wants to distance himself from boasting in these revelations and visions. He says, I know a man who went into the third heaven. So basic idea of the cosmology of the Bible is there's first heaven, you know, like the sky. Then there's second heaven, what we think maybe think of as outer space. And then there's third heaven, the place of God's dwelling place. And he even says later on, he says uh, into into paradise, that is even into the very The very presence of God himself. In some way, he says, in the body or out of the body, I don't even know. I don't even know what was happening. He he can't even even wrap his his mind around what was happening. But he was in the presence of God. He says, I'm not going to boast about that. I could boast about that because I have true visions and revelations, not like these men who purport or claim that they have visions and revelations. I really have it. I could boast about this if I want to, but I refrain from it. Even if you continue to hold that we get revelations from God, at least show the same reticence to speak about them that Paul does. Everybody seems to hear from God directly nowadays. And feel very confident that they heard from God, that God spoke to them. Paul knows that this is not something that you throw around. If you say God told me, God better have spoken to you. And so he's, he refrains from it. He this is he distances himself from this. Instead, he says, "I don't want anybody to think more of me because I claim to have a revelation. Instead, I want people to think." What they think because what they see and hear from me. That is, if, if you don't see it in me, if you don't see it, see it happening, not because I'm claiming I, I saw something great or experienced something great, but because you see my pattern of life. That's what I want you to look at. And it goes on from there. he really gets to the point in verse 7. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. You know, we know from the book of Job that, that God is in control of, that he sets definite, definite boundaries and limitations on Satan. After, after Job has lost his, his uh, wealth, after he has lost his family, after he has lost his health, he says... The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise be to the name of the Lord. So, even though it was through the agency of Satan, even though it was great suffering, he recognized that the ultimate cause was the Lord. Nothing happens outside of God, God's power. There are no limitations on God's power, only limitations on Satan's power. But God. He says that this thorn was given me in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn was. I kind of I have my ideas. You probably have yours too. We, we know that he is uh, everywhere troubled in almost all the churches by these false teachers. That's kind of what I think. It doesn't really matter uh, as much. What we know is that it was really difficult and we know the reason for why God gave it. God gave it so that he would not become conceited. He would not become prideful. How important is it To be humble before the Lord. You know, I I want to more than anything to be humble from the heart because I don't want to be humble by the discipline of the Lord. But how much better it is to be humbled by the discipline of the Lord than to be cut off from God for all eternity. And so when we think about what's happening here, we think about what, what does God what does God treasure? What does God want in us? God wants humility in us. He wanted humility in Paul. God, God loved Paul. God loved Paul enough to not allow him to be conceited or proud. And so he sent, he sent this messenger, this, this one who would keep him from being conceited. We know that it must have been hard. He, he, he pleads with God three times. This is probably the, the same way that, that Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was, he was going to God again and again and again. This was, this was his great burden, was, was Jesus Christ was about to go to the cross. He was about to receive on himself the wrath of God for the sins of the world. And he was going to God and he was praying to God and he said, not my will but yours be done. Paul is, Paul is probably calling that to mind. I, I, I kept going. I, I was burdened in a, in a similar way. Of course, not like Jesus Christ, but, but in a similar way, in, a, in, a, in an imitative way. And I was going to God, but I was saying, not my will, but yours be done. Now, think about this. Paul, there were things that Paul saw in third heaven. There were things that Paul saw in paradise that he could not talk about. It was like apostolic classified information. He didn't, he didn't talk about that. But here he has this this thorn in the flesh, and it is through and accompanying this thorn in the flesh that he is able to give a revelation from God that he really thinks will be helpful for us. Evidently, what you see in third heaven, that might not be profitable for everybody. This is profitable profitable for everybody. God said to him, my grace, grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is... You're gonna, you're gonna have this thorn. It's not gonna go away. My grace is, my grace is gonna sustain you all the way. My grace is gonna hold you. My grace is gonna, gonna hold you up. My grace is gonna bring you through. It is not, it is not in your accomplishments that the power of Christ is perfected in you. It's not in the visions and the revelations. That's not what made you perfect. The power of Christ is perfected in our weakness. Weakness is the way that we are made like Jesus Christ. That's why he goes on from there. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'll boast, uh, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. That is, when when I am facing all these things, when I'm being insulted, when I'm being persecuted, when I'm suffering difficulty of all kinds, when I'm suffering all these dangers, any anything that comes my way, these things that, that make me weak, even this idea of the, the thorn in the flesh, the idea of in the flesh is is pointing not necessarily to his physical body, but to his his human weakness. He was a man, he was a man who had been to third heaven, who had been to paradise, but he was still a mortal man, subject to the weaknesses of human flesh, just as we are. When we are suffering those weaknesses, that is when the power of Christ is being perfected in us. That is when we are being made strong. Don't think of your weaknesses as as something to to be running from. Don't think that God doesn't love you because you are temporarily for a little while suffering weakness. He would be content, he would boast, he would boast all the more gladly of his weaknesses because that was how the power of Christ was being demonstrated in him. The false teachers thought that the power of Christ showed up in many more evident and and, uh, spectacular ways. Here Paul says, the power of Christ shows up in my weakness. That's what I'm going to talk about. All we bring to the table for our salvation is our weakness. We do not bring our strength. We do not bring our works. Paul, Paul talks about, I, I, I could boast in my heritage, I could boast of all the ways that I, that, I, that I persecuted the church zealously because I was raised in Phariseeism. And I was a very zealous disciple of Phariseeism. But then I counted it as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Being found righteous because of him. Here he's saying, here, here you have these men. They're boasting their power. I don't boast in my power. I boast in my weakness. Because only Christ has the power to save. Christ saves. It is Christ's power. It is Christ's strength that saves. And So we trust in him. Paul trusted in him. Paul pressed on in the power of Jesus Christ. Well, finally we see Paul speaking of signs and wonders. Look at verses 11 through 13. He says, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me, this wrong he says hey look at me I've been I've been talking like a fool I've been acting like a fool you made me do this I I had to this is the this is the the depths that I will go to to make a message clear to you that's what he's saying to the Corinthians he says I ought to have been commended by you that is he he ought to he ought to have he was the one who brought the gospel to them and he says, you, you, ought to have, you ought to have been my commendation. You ought to have been my letter of recommendation. You are the ones You, you are the ones who are the proof of my ministry. I was not at all, I, I'm nothing. I'm nothing, but I'm not inferior to super apostles. Doesn't say a lot for super apostles. Doesn't say a lot for the false teachers. I am nothing, but I am not inferior to the super apostles. Instead, he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with or by signs and wonders and mighty works. Or many translations will say, miracles. Now, lots of times we'll talk about miracles in a kind of colloquial kind of way. We'll kind of, as a, just a kind of way of talking. What do we, what do we say when a baby's born? It's the miracle of childbirth. It's a miracle of childbirth. We talk about it as something that's amazing, even though. We were all born, you know, that way, and we kind of, most of us know how that happens. You know, it's not a miracle in that sense. Uh, or sometimes we'll just talk about miracles in a way of talking about some, some uh, remarkable coincidence because we know that there are no coincidences, that God controls everything. And so sometimes we, just as a way of speaking, we talk about uh, miracles, just as a way of, of ascribing to God something great that he did, of recognizing that God did something wonderful because we know that God is at work. But here we're talking about signs and wonders and miracles in a more precise way. You know, God does everything. God typically works by means. That is, he has a, he has a pattern of working in the world. He created the world. He sustains the world. He has a pattern or order in the world. Uh, a typical pattern or, or order of, of cause and effect that we typically observe and we see, we see how, that, how that happens. But when we see signs and wonders and miracles here, we're not talking about the ordinary way that God works through, through the ordinary pattern or order of creation. He is working without means. He's working even contrary to means. He is breaking the ordinary pattern that we see in the world. He's doing something remarkable. Some examples from scripture. Paralyzed men being made to walk again. Men blind from birth being able to see again. A man who was four days in the grave and he was raised to live again. None of us have observed these things. The reason why is because these are not commonplaces. These are not things that commonly happen. These kinds of miracles. We might say miracles happen every day because God does amazing things every day, but but these kinds of miracles, these signs and wonders and miracles don't happen every day. God gave Moses signs and wonders to attest to him as a prophet of God. God gave Elijah signs and wonders to say he was a prophet of God. And, and Jesus Christ, when he came, he said to those who are listening to him, if you don't believe because of my words, at least because, believe because of the works, believe because of my signs and wonders. God was saying about Jesus Christ through the signs and the wonders that Jesus Christ did. Here is the one who brings my revelation. Here's the one who speaks my words. God, Jesus Christ was much more than a prophet of God, but he was not less than a prophet of God. And the signs and wonders that Jesus performed attested to the fact that he was and is the son of God. The prophet of God, you should believe the words that Jesus says. And Paul did the same thing in Corinth. He came in and he did signs and wonders and miracles among them to say, here I am, the one who delivers Revelation from God here I am the one who delivers the Word of God. Now these these are called signs. We have a word that that, that is related to signs It's called it's, it's the word significant. The, the signs do not have significance if they happen all the time. The signs do not have significance if everybody does them. The signs have significance. Here for Paul because Paul was an apostle; he was one who was bringing the very word of God to the people in Corinth, and so they, he did all these things. You think about what the what the false teachers want and what they how they bo- how they how they support their claims. So they they want to teach false doctrine for power and influence and for money. They support they, they get people to believe them by saying, "God told me." they make claims to visions and revelations and they make claims to miracles and signs and wonders remember what paul said in the passage from last week in chapter 11 he says they disguise themselves they disguise themselves as false apostles they ate the apostles whatever an apostle does an apostle apostle brings revelations and visions an apostle does miracles. Well, well, you listen to me, because listen, I, I can, I've got I've got a word from God too, and and I've got visions and revelations too, and and look at these miracles that that I can do. We've seen these miracles under under my ministry or under what I've done. Think about how the miracles that modern day so-called prophets and apostles do compare to how they pale in comparison to. The miracles that Jesus and the apostles did. Jesus and the apostles did miracles that not even their opponents questioned. They did miracles that not even their opponents could deny. Everyone wondered at them. Even when they hated Jesus, even when they hated the apostles, they could not deny What they were doing, they could not deny the power that they were doing it by. They could not deny that these were real miracles. The guy's been dead in the tomb for four days. The man's, and he rises again. The man has been sitting in front of the temple where people go in and out all the time. And Peter goes by and says, get up. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up. The false apostles, the false prophets, they stay away from the people in the wheelchairs. Jesus and the apostles did not. They made the lame walk again. And when you can show me that you can make the lame walk, then I'll believe that you have a revelation or a vision from God. Jesus told us that there would be many false Christs and many false apostles. He warned us ahead of time. Don't believe them. Don't fall for their tricks. Don't don't be confused by their disguises. Paul says, he says to them there at the end, in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches? Except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. The The only thing that Paul did for all the other churches that he didn't do for the Corinthians is he didn't accept money from the Corinthians. And they still didn't love him. You know, they still didn't, they still didn't respond to him wholeheartedly. That's what he's really trying to get them to do. I want you to think about, say, 2 Corinthians 10 through 12. One of the things in talking about his apostleship, what Paul has done is he's given us the false teacher playbook. This is what the false teachers look like. They boast in their accomplishments. They boast in their skillfulness. They boast in what they are able to do. They devour people's money. That's what they want. They want to devour you. They want to take you. They support their claims with counterfeits, counterfeit visions and revelations, with counterfeit miracles and signs and wonders. And some people, hey, the false teachers still have they still have plenty of people listening to them because they don't know the playbook. But, but Paul has given us the playbook. Let's, let's not fall for their tricks. Here's what's even more important. Paul shows us the way of the Christian life. The way of the Christian life is not boasting in my accomplishments. It's not boasting in what I can do. It's not boasting in, in even in any gift that I would receive from God. It is boasting in Jesus Christ. We have no boast except to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no boasts except the boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's boast in our weaknesses. Let's Paul was not Paul was not fearful to he did not shrink back from talking about his own sins. I was the chief sinner. I was the greatest of sinners. I was one who persecuted the church. Paul talked about the things that made God look great. Talked about his weaknesses. He Talked about his sins. He didn't talk about his accomplishments. He didn't talk about his revelations. He didn't talk about his miracles or his signs or his wonders. He didn't make much of those things. He made much of what Jesus Christ was doing through him. He made much of the way that God was perfecting him through his weaknesses. And he did this so that this would be the pattern of our lives. So that we would know. When we are weak, God is making us strong. So let us humble ourselves and boast in what God God is doing in us, even in the midst of our weaknesses. Father, uh, we praise you uh, for your goodness to us. While we were weak and unable to save ourselves, your son came and died for us. While we were impoverished, even in debt for our sins, Jesus Christ gave up his wealth. And came poor so that we might become rich. Even while we were great in sin, we had sinned many great sins, as, as even our works of righteousness were nothing, they were rubbish, they were loss. We count them as loss. We think of them as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Please grant that we would learn and understand the low way, the way of weakness, the humble way. And God, we. We do not want to know the pain of your discipline, but we would not rather be humbled by you than separated from you. So please teach us humility. Teach us humility from the heart. Help us not to be conceited or prideful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.